about to hear my conversation with Dustin Reed, our chief fixed income strategist. We talk all about the recent central bank actions, what the latest inflation data has been, and what trades they currently have on in their portfolios. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKinsey Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be back with your chief fixed income strategist, Dustin Reed. Dustin, welcome back. Hey, great to be back on the program. We've always timed these sort of post-BOC or post uh, the uh, the Fed and the U.S. decision. And yesterday, uh, the Fed came out and hiked 25 basis points. Uh, love to get your reaction to, uh, I think it was largely expected that that's uh, what they were anticipating doing, but love to get your reaction on uh, some of the comments that you're hearing or, or perspective on where you think they're going. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's uh, The Fed's always an interesting meeting, eight meetings a year. This one was obviously the July meeting, which is not a uh, forecast meeting for the Fed. The last the last meeting before this one in June was, was a forecast meeting. But indeed, the Fed hiked by 25, as was very much expected by, I would say, almost, almost everybody. I think the market was pricing about 23 or 24 basis points uh, going into the meeting. So no, no massive surprise. There were a few interesting takeaways, I think, from the meeting that are important for investors and for markets. The statement, the formal statement at two o'clock, which is, which is the most formal document that the Fed releases and definitely came out on the hawkish side. I think overall, the meeting was really in many ways about what was not said as opposed to what was said. And so by that, I mean, in, in, the, in the official document at, at 2 p.m. Eastern, the Fed did not change any language around uh, its inflation uh, expectations or outlook. And that was a bit of a surprise to some. I would include myself in that, in that camp, uh, particularly after the June CPI numbers that came in uh, I would say no, notably weaker than I think the market expected, um, and we continued to see that that softening inflation trend. For the Fed to, in the formal document, not uh, acknowledge that was right. was interesting. So people had a very hawkish reaction coming out of the the statement part. But half hour later, when the press conference started, and we kind of got through some of the Q and A, said a few things and didn't say a few things that were interesting. One of the things that he said was he had a bit of a gap between the tone coming out of the uh, the statement on the inflation that I was just mentioning. But in the press conference, he was a little bit more dovish on inflation uh, and kind of went, I don't know if he went off script, but he there was definitely a bit of a gap between the tone that I was picking up that he wanted to, uh, I think, get across the table during the press conference versus the uh, versus the statement. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, what was also a really interesting takeaway from the the press conference was the fact, that, at least from what I saw, he never uh, referred to or acknowledged the second 25 basis point hike that the median participant uh, penciled in at the previous Fed meeting in June, recall hmm. when they uh, increased the 2023 dots by 50 basis points, which presumably meant two by 25 right. basis point hikes. And typically at these non-forecast meetings, like we just had this this week in July, um, he will Powell will heavily lean on the the previous meeting, which is a forecast meeting, and say, well, 
you know, these are our forecasts. There's no, there's no reason to move away from that. He had ample opportunity, including the first question asked, and I would say at least one other question, if not two more, throughout the press conference to lean on uh, the the median the median, you know, the dots or the median participant suggesting that there should be another 25 basis points. And he opted not to do that. And I think the market uh, in real time yesterday picked up on the fact that he didn't go there, so to speak, and didn't say anything. And you saw a bit of a, I don't want to call it Goldilocks, but a bit of a, you know, risk, risk positive or, or positive for global risk sentiment type price action across asset classes, whether it's rates, credit, currencies, fixed income, uh, equities, uh, you know, that, that sort of thing. So I thought that was I thought that was quite interesting, and we're seeing a little bit of follow through on that um, as well uh, today. So I think that's that's an interesting takeaway. We'll see how some of these Fed speakers maybe this week, next week, uh, follow through on that. But for Powell not to lean on that really does seem to suggest that the Fed is. I don't want to say they don't know what's next because I think they have a decent idea of what's next, but they are s- somewhat unsure of. Uh, the next uh, small section of the cycle. I, I personally think that uh, the next meeting in September, even though it's a forecast meeting, is not overly live. I, I don't think the Fed is seriously looking at hiking rates in September. I think that the October 31st, November 1st meeting is somewhat live. We'll have to see how the data comes in. And I think that, uh, like like many of the other central banks, the Fed is extremely data dependent month to month meeting to meeting um and that's not really a cop out i think it's i think it really is genuine that that the fed and other central banks are really unsure because i think a lot of the models that the fed and other central banks use haven't necessarily performed i think people are you know particularly on the labor market side labor market mm. in the us and i would say here domestically in canada uh, have you know has hung in there a little bit more than i think most people would have expected given the amount of rate hikes that we've had over the last year year and a half so uh, i i'm not totally giving up the ghost on another Fed hike, but we'll have to see how things go. With this hike by the Fed this week, the 25 basis points, the Fed moved the Fed funds rate to five and a quarter, five and a half, which is a a view that I've had for a a long time, uh, really since late February, um, after the the January PCE data printed in in late February, and we moved from the five, five and a quarter Fed funds range to five and a quarter, five and a half. Um, So Fed's effectively there. Uh, At the time, we moved it to five and a quarter, five and a half with an upside bias. And I guess I would still uh, retain that upside bias here on the margin for now. Uh, But we haven't moved, uh, or at least I haven't moved my my own Fed funds forecast here after the Fed meeting this week. I'm not, not that I'm not expecting them to not go again. It's not the best English, but not, not, not that the Fed's completely done. Um, but I, I, the data the data is challenging. And I think, like I've said many, many times, there's at least two camps inside every central bank, uh, if not if not three or more. And um, you know, there's going to be people that are going to see the next iteration of the data with inflation slowing as, okay, well, you know, our, our job is done and here we go and we just need to let things settle, uh, roll through the system. And there'll be other people, I think, if I'm correct, where inflation, even though it's slowing, it's slowing and, and 
stopping or or leveling off, so to speak, at a higher level than target. And the Hawks would point to that and say, well, more to go if we're going to meet our mandate. And there'll be people in the middle. And that doesn't even talk about the labor market, which, you know, if the labor market doesn't necessarily fall off like it has in previous cycles, then uh, the Hawks in particular are going to say, look, there's a potential here for um, stronger, stronger employment to boomerang to uh, higher wages, stronger wages, and uh, inflation is going to remain higher uh, and, and risk not only risk moving higher, but at a minimum stay higher for longer. And we need to we need to do more. So I think that discussion hasn't necessarily completely abated yet, and uh, and and there's more to go. But uh, that, that's essentially my view, just from an economics perspective, anyway, on uh, on how the Fed came through this week. Great. Um, I want to pick up on your discussion on labor markets and sort of uh, talk more broadly about inflation figures around the world. You referenced the uh, the relatively soft number in the U.S. Uh, well, that was the, the case within uh, both Europe and Canada as well. But sort of in the juxtaposition, you have a still very resilient labor uh, market. I think many people, maybe not many people, but some people are perceiving this as maybe they, they're actually going to achieve sort of the Goldilocks scenario where they can bring down inflation and maintain employment. Love your, your thoughts on that and, uh, and maybe specific comments on, uh, on Canada and Europe. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, this Goldilocks era in whether it's the economy or markets or both is obviously something that central banks, people to strive for. Uh, so sometimes it can be achieved uh, sometimes not. And of course, always when it's achieved, it never, never lasts forever. Um, you know, it looked challenging at the beginning of the year for the fed to be able to engineer. I mean, some of it's luck, some of it's its own engineering, but engineering a soft landing. Right. And then that's kind of when you had this discussion of, well, maybe there's no landing and, uh, with, with the economy strong, we've had the U S Q2 GDP numbers print this morning. Pretty pretty decent with final domestic demand and uh, inventories aren't necessarily contributing a lot uh, to the top line growth. GDP printed higher than expected. Uh, you've got uh, core PCE as defined by the national accounts data uh, slowing. So you got a bit of a Goldilocks scenario, you know, happening there. You know, I think a lot of these central banks are are not sure. And uh, that that makes it challenging to call markets. And I think because central banks have the potential to kind of gear up and gear down at, at will. I think in the U.S. Uh, sorry, in, in Europe, where we've had a, a an ECB meeting uh, this morning. In fact, you've seen the ECB in fact move to even more of a data dependent mantra after essentially saying we need, you know, we need a reason not to hike. Now I think they're moving closer towards, maybe not quite there to, we need a reason to hike. And the, the bun fight over uh, the September rate hike for the ECB, which is all, which has been a, a real point of uh, contention, I think for both the, the doves and the Hawks on, on the ECB um, over the last couple months is now, is now really going to come uh, full force. And similarly here with the Bank of Canada too, right? We've had you know, the bank essentially said we're going to take a pause in January. It did for the bulk of the first half of the year. Came back in June and surprised many, including myself, I would say, and, and hiked in 
uh, June and then and then July. Not that I wasn't expecting them to come back. I was, but I was expecting you know July, September, right? And they've done June, July, and and we'll see if they come back for September. My my inkling inclination is that the bank is probably okay at five percent. Bank Canada is probably okay at five percent. Uh, so I think you know from. From a Fed perspective, from a Bank Canada perspective, from a European Central Bank ECB perspective, I mean, just from an accounting perspective, this is easy to say we're closer to the end of the cycle. I mean, that that's factual. Sure. There's nothing right. shattering about that. But I think kind of beyond the the accounting side of it, I think we are closer to the end of the cycle because I think you're seeing these banks in particular move to be very direct in terms of their messaging. Uh, to markets and and Main Street around, we are very data dependent. And if the data suggests that we need to go, we'll go. But we're not preconditioned to continuing this hiking cycle on a, on an every meeting basis. I mean, obviously that was the case with the Bank of Canada having had a big pause for most of the first half of the year, right? And obviously the the Fed had paused or skipped, I guess was the term of you right. know, the term of the month in June. So we are we already knew that, but uh, it looks like the ECB this morning is very much jumping on that same evolution of that global of that global narrative. And so I think that's important because we're all you know, there are other central banks to talk about too, um, but you know those three, which we spend a fair bit of time on, and I would add the Bank of Japan. Those are the four main markets that I, I mean, besides EM, that I I spend a fair bit of time on within the uh, the G10 space. You know, Japan's obviously um, its own is on its own path, but those other three are very much aligned right now. I mean, clearly there are different notional rates or nominal rates of of policy and and doing different things on the quantitative easing, quantitative easing or quantitative tightening side. Um, but we're seeing some alignment there, and so I think that we're <clears throat> we're seeing, uh, you know, particularly in North America, we're seeing the inflation numbers slow, right, um, to around three percent uh, on the headline, uh, give or take. Um, the European side, the headlines are slowing as well, uh, but for the most recent ECB data, sorry, for the most recent European data, and we'll get more uh, probably while this podcast is is being listened to. Um, over the next week or so, but the most recent data uh, ha- actually has core CPE, uh, sorry, core CPI in Europe ticking higher on the annual basis. It ticked higher for the most recent print from 5.3 to 5.5, and that clearly is going to keep the ECB ready to go if that right. you know if that continues to become an issue in North America. You know, I think that there's a decent probability here. Um, it might be a bit early, but that we've put in the trough, put in the low for the next few months on headline CPI in the U.S. when looking at it on an annual basis. Right. So I think we could actually see the year-over-year CPI number in the U.S. actually move a little bit higher uh, in like for July when we get that print in August and then also for August in September and maybe even for September when that prints in October. And when you look at the CPI fixing market, which is a very, very niche uh, type or niche type of uh, market that that trades around CPI futures, so to speak, uh, it's also expecting that. Part of that, I think, is the base effect coming out. So base effect is basically last year's number coming out. The way the accounting works, it kind of suggests that there's a little bit room on the upside for the annual number to move higher. But I'm also 
watching oil and energy prices broadly and food prices. We're seeing energy prices move higher, particularly oil, Brent oil, kind of the global benchmark. Uh, it, it's well off its lows. And I'm seeing and hearing that there's a little bit more appetite to see um based on inventories and based on uh, some other things within the the macro oil market that oil could continue to move higher. And I think this this move from Russia to exit this Black Sea agreement around uh, exporting uh, various uh, agricultural products um, is potentially an issue on uh, on the food side. And then there's also a headline or a story or an idea running around that – that uh, rice uh, getting exported out of India is is being somewhat constrained for uh, for domestic consumption, and you've seen some grain, some types of rice, not all types of rice, but some uh, types of some types of rice spike by two or three x, oh, wow. uh, and some of that rice is kind of a, a mainstay in North American diet, um, Asian diets. So I look at those things and I say, okay, where's the balance of risk here? And uh, inflation on a headline basis could potentially, as we would say, curl up uh, a little bit uh, here. I don't think it's massive, but it it takes maybe away from the narrative that we're going to see uh, inflation continue to fall away. So I think this is why the market has many different views. I think this is why central banks are very uncommitted at this point and want to see literally month by month by month how uh, the inflation narrative evolves and obviously how the, their own domestic uh, labor market narratives uh, evolve. I think, it, I think it's tricky. Um, I'm not expecting cuts anytime soon by any stretch. Sure. Um, and I think we are in a general period now after clearly moving from six, seven, eight percent down to kind of this two and a half, three, four, depending on what measure you're looking at and what mm-hmm. geography you're looking at, you know, neighborhood. But uh, we could see a little bit of a blip here. So I want investors to take away that I don't think that the inflation picture is totally linear. Uh, lower here. Uh, we could see a little bit of a reprieve. Um, doesn't mean that we're in trouble and inflation is going to rip back higher. It's just could be a little bit. Think of it as a bit of a speed bump in the in the overall in the overall directionality of of inflation uh, grinding lower. So uh, so we'll see how that obviously uh, all all evolves the next little bit. I think it makes a very very interesting macro uh, trading environment here for the next uh, few quarters for sure. Maybe just to follow up on that maybe a two-part question, but uh, one, uh, central bankers, the description on inflation and, and what some of the uh, core drivers uh, of it may be, that being base effects and some of the commodity um, things that you touched on. Are central bankers likely to react to that or will they will they look through it? And then a sort of second part to that is as the, the bankers become more data dependent, does that increase the range of outcomes for, for markets just because it's a little bit more challenging to predict central bank uh, reaction. Both good questions. So on on the first part, I think at a minimum it probably underscores the higher for longer. I mean that's kind right. of the safe answer, but I think that that's true, and it's a narrative and a thread that we've had for a long time. Right, getting from eight to five is one thing; getting from five to two is going to be quite another, and it kind of necessitates uh, the the higher for longer narrative. So I think that is more the the, mo- the most likely. Um, you know, scenario. I don't think it necess- I don't think it's big enough to 
reaccelerate the hiking cycle. Uh, let's let's put it that way. Got it. But to your second to your second question, I, I I agree. I think when you know at these inflection points in the cycle, when you have bank, central banks kind of going off script in a way, right? Central banks are really supposed to be looking, I would say, eighteen to twenty four months out and trying to conduct policy now to. Uh, to, to, to make sure that policy is going to be appropriate in you know in in, in six in, in 18 to 24 months time when right. the central banks are so short-term focused you have a recipe for higher volatility in markets mm. uh, and different messaging coming out of uh, even even the same even the same central bank I think we've seen that a bit over the last couple of months I mean clearly the Fed has been part of that. And I would say the ECB has also been a part of that. I mean, the doves and the hawks have been at each other via the press in Europe for the last couple of months, um, you know, very, you know, very significantly. I mean, clearly you would even see some some press within the hours after an ECB meeting, basically refuting some of the uh, comments that uh, Lagarde, President Lagarde right. uh, made, or maybe maybe opted not to make. So, uh, so you're seeing that consternation, I think. And so I think that makes it challenging for markets and that's why I, I mean it is a bit of a a bit of a, a default line to some but I actually, I genuinely believe it when I say these are really really interesting markets to trade because you know tactically if you have a strong view and you think you think you have an edge and you think things are going right. a certain way you can see moments in time where the market trades away from that uh, and it's an opportunity to get in at a better level or 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 or, or average down so to speak or average up depending which way you're going uh, you know on, on on various securities or, or or ideas so I think it's a really interesting market to trade and this is where you know I think active macro management uh, particularly within the fixed income space and we obviously do a, a decent amount of FX as well um, is, is really really interesting and so the uh, even though it's challenging I look at it as a as a really good opportunity set because when things are somewhat on autopilot, there's a higher probability that things are more in the price and there's less opportunity for alpha. Here, I think there's there's more interesting opportunities for alpha as we kind of stick handle it. I mean, obviously, you have to be, you know, more right than wrong, which which we which we obviously try to do, but uh, but the opportunities I think are 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 plentiful here for the second half of the year. Seems like a great segue to talk into what you're actually doing. Uh, and the various portfolios, what trades do you have on, given your your macro view? Yeah, for sure. So there's uh, there's lots to play for, and there's lots that we uh, we have on, and lots that we're looking at. Some of the things that we have on, um, uh, without getting too much into it, just because uh, uh, just the timing of the podcast, that there is a Bank of Japan meeting coming up here in the next 24 hours or so, and we continue to have this very large, uh, short um, JGB futures position on, uh, not only within our unconstrained and um, and global portfolios, but also in our our core plus portfolio. So we're short, we're short the futures. Uh, so so prices lower, yields higher, uh, and we'll see what we get from the BOJ. And that continues to be a core holding for us. Whether whether something happens in July or something happens later, it it, it, it continues to be a, a core holding uh, for us. But I won't comment too much on it now because I think by the time this gets out, uh, the the BOJ will have made its announcement. Right. Uh, a few other things that we we like that are core holdings. We've had a particularly in global and unconstrained. Um, but to an extent, in some of the core funds as well, we've had a um, 
and I wouldn't even say an overweight. I would say a significant overweight position in uh, real yields, in real yield fixed income, in particular uh, U.S. tips or Treasury mm-hmm. inflation protected securities. And that that position's done relatively well for us. Uh, we liked buying that, uh, particularly at the long end of the curve, mostly in kind of the 30-year space. We liked locking in those yields. They've traded in a little bit with inflation coming lower, but uh, you know, a few months ago when you could get five or six percent inflation with 150 basis points in addition to that. I mean, you're looking at a AAA security that was yielding six, six and a half uh, percent, uh, which is uh, pretty pretty good, right? Um, And liquidity and tips, at least for our side, our size is is good enough that we could get in and get out relatively comfortably. So, So liquidity wasn't a big deal for us. For for some shops that are massive, massive, uh, liquidity can be an issue in tips, but uh, for us, for us it wasn't. So we really liked it as a core holding, and I think for the balance of the last two, three, maybe even four months. I mean, my 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 comment to the team generally, not always, but generally, was if we want to add duration in the G10 space, I generally like adding real duration as opposed to nominal duration. Now, that gap has probably narrowed a little bit here in the last few weeks or months, although I'd still probably lean, generally speaking, towards real yield over nominal yields. But um, but we've been, you know, where we get a lot of our duration, particularly in unconstrained and, and global, is, is on the real yield side, and particularly U.S. tips. Uh, but we also hold the fabulously uh, title Real return bonds, which is literally what they're called for Canada, <laughs> right. uh, and then and then globally, people would call the sector linkers and you link to inflation. And, and we have you know we're in and out of the European side as well. But that tips trade or real return bond trade, so to speak, for our linkers trade, has been a, a core tenant for us and um, has been has been very very beneficial to I think uh, our uh, you know uh, some of our outperformance over the last quarter or or two, which is great. Another trade that we've had on in size uh, in the last three months. Uh, across all our portfolios uh, has been uh, emerging market local currency debt. So we're buying mm-hmm. local bonds, local emerging market bonds, and keeping it in the 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 issuer, the country issuer, and and keeping generally keeping the currency open. Not all the time, but often. Uh, we've been predisposed to LATAM, and within LATAM, we've been predisposed to Brazil and Max. Part of that two three months ago was the idea that uh, real yields in Brazil and Max were looking. Very, very attractive. Um, picking up maybe 700 basis points in Brazil. And we were relatively comfortable with the idiosyncratic risks around Brazil. And I would say uh, Mexico, the number two on the list overall, not only in LATAM, but overall globally, uh, and maybe slightly lower, maybe in the five and a half or six percent neighborhood for for Brazil and sorry for Mexico in terms of real yield capture and again comfortable with kind of the idiosyncratic risk that you know may or may not be associated with um, with Max and you know we thought uh, that they were you know particularly the you know EM central banks got into the cycle early in terms of hiking and we thought they would get out of the cycle relatively early in terms of easing and we haven't necessarily seen that yet but we're close uh, and we think the latam banks of you know kind of the major three regions between you know emerging europe africa and then asia and then latam we thought latam would exit first and we could see the brazil central bank cut uh, as soon as august next month um, which i think would help solidify our our, our position. So we've we've had uh, significant positions on there, although we've shaved a little bit off of some of it uh, from where we were max maybe four weeks ago. But still, I would say 
uh, uh, overweight to, to somewhat overweight there. And that's also been a pretty good performer uh, from that perspective. So those three positions, Japan, uh, linkers, uh, particularly U.S. tips and, uh, and, the, and, uh, and EM, particularly LATAM, EM local currency bonds have been uh, – uh, I've been spending a fair bit of time on all of that. There's other little things in terms of kind of being in and out of uh, the front end of the nominal U.S. Treasury curve. Ditto for the front end of the um, of the European uh, curve, particularly the German benchmark, and a number of other kind of tactical things. We've been short uh, UK gilts, uh, looking for maybe a bit of a, a bit of an issue there in terms of what we had last year as a small position. But those ones are relatively small in terms of uh, overall duration uh, contributions to the portfolio compared to the the first three that that I mentioned, which are uh, you know, very very significant in terms of uh, tactical alpha. So those those would be kind of the ones that uh, are still interesting, and uh, I'm sure there'll be many many more to play for here. Uh, we're obviously always looking to see you know at this point in the cycle, is it time to get into the ever famous uh, structural steepener? Uh, right. You know, steepener curve, whether that's Canada or the U.S. or, or somewhat else, and uh, I think we are getting closer. And again, kind of from an accounting perspective, time allows you to say that. Obviously, you're getting closer with time. I mean, all cycles come to an end, but with these labor markets continuing to be hang, to hanging in there, I saw the claims number this morning out of out of the U.S. again printing a new low. So lower claims is a stronger labor market. Uh, it it challenges the idea that uh, the steepener is is right around the corner. So, I mean, that, that's a trade a lot of people want to have on, you know, real money like us, um, the macro funds globally, the multi-strat funds globally have been itching to get it on. Many have had it on and been burned. I, I think it will be time at some point, And that's definitely one we're going to look to get on when the time is right. But I, you know, we're not quite, we're not quite there yet, but uh, we'll see how the next one or two months develop uh, going into September with the data evolution and how these central banks want to handle their their September meetings. Well, Dustin, let's call it there. Really great insight. Thanks so much for spending the time and I look forward to our next conversation. That sounds great. Thanks very much. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 